The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. Low, low, low. The Santa rally hits a wall as the Dow and Nasdaq snap a nine-session winning streak and the S&P posts its worst daily performance since September, with only 17 stocks in the index closing in the green. Sources tell CNBC that Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount are in early merger talks in what could be a landmark deal of two legacy media giants as they battle to take ground in the streaming world. Shares in Toyota sink as the Japanese carmaker recalls more than a million vehicles in the US over concerns a sensor short circuit could impact airbags. And France's sports minister tells CNBC next summer's Olympics could generate up to 10 billion euros and create 180,000 jobs as Paris enters the final sprint in preparing the Games. Sometimes French people are a bit grumpy, but it's because they're demanding, you know, so it's putting also some positive pressure on, on our shoulders to do all the extra mile, the extra effort to make sure that everything is going to be uh, as good as the French people deserve them to be. It's a big day for markets today. The question is whether we continue to see a sell-off. We've had a market that keeps on reaching for fresh records, fresh 52-week highs. But now it seems after we've climbed a long way to the top, whether we're now having to find our way back down and whether that can be a very difficult pathway for investors. So what could possibly go wrong, I think, if you're chasing the rally? This is what we saw yesterday. You yeah. could see a reset of expectations. And now just take a look at some of these boards. You can see 1.5 off down on the NASDAQ, 1.5 almost down on the S&P. And for the Dow, a reversal of 475 points, almost 1.3%. So we were, as I mentioned, within striking distance of an all-time high on the S&P 500. The Dow had chased a record on Tuesday. The Nasdaq also coming off nine straight sessions of gains, but that reversal now taking place. So for the Nasdaq, the S&P, the Dow, industrials, worst trading day in many, many months. And the S&P seeing its biggest daily drop now since September. In terms of what we've got on the performance, let's take a look at the uh, stocks in particular. A day ago, we were talking about the names that have been chased in this uh, final stage of the rally. What was still being picked up? You could see what was sold off. And in fact, it was some of those big names that investors have been chasing. For instance, American Express was one of them. That stock down yesterday, 1.7%, but the worst performers. Walt Disney in the mix. Perhaps a nod to some of the consolidation that may be happening in the traditional media landscape. We mentioned in the headlines around Warner Brothers and Paramount in merger talks, so perhaps implications for the likes of Walt Disney. 3M was down about 2.4 Walgreens boots. Again, these were stocks that we were highlighting yesterday that were still moving very aggressively in that nine-session rally. Walgreens boots. Intel was another one of them as well. Other names that fell, United Health, Johnson Johnson, Coca-Cola, also in the red. Now, let's take you to the VIX. Don't forget, we've um, seen very low levels on this VIX, and that remains the case. We're still low teens at a 13 handle. And in fact, it was uh, the lowest level since the start of the pandemic, is what we've seen in recent weeks as the markets chase this rally higher. So uh, the fear gauge, this is what we look like this morning. In terms of treasuries, well, the market has seen enormous moves on the equity 
equity side, but also on the bond side, thanks to this assumption now that the Fed will be cutting next year. This being telegraphed by Jay Powell and the markets running even further in terms of the extent of rate cuts, thanks to that pivot we saw the other week. The 10-year, we're now below the 3.9% mark again for the first time since July. So we've moved even further off that 4% handle too, and we're 4.38 at the short end of the curve. So fairly significant moves in those yields, Arabili. Yeah, certainly the case. I mean, just yesterday, actually, I was listening to uh, commentary coming out even on this channel as well. One of the analysts who had spoken to one of our U.S. colleagues as well, really saying that the Fed in this regard, with regards to rate cuts, is actually looking like a market leader when they've actually just followed sentiment from the markets for quite some time. All that's happened is really just an accelerated timeline, which has come to the fore following what the Fed has noted out. So interesting comments to come out of that. And that really has been what has pushed a lot of this market perspective thus far. And this is what we're seeing then in some of the dollar crosses themselves, right? The greenback strengthening, particularly against the British pound, uh, which is very interesting to note. Of course, rate cut expectations and speculation there still driving that sentiment. Of course, we, call, we saw CPI uh, out of the United Kingdom then come out then at 3.9%, better than the anticipated 4.4%, and it was the drop down from that 4.6% figure. So a significant enough drop down for the market to expect rate cuts out of the UK. Will we begin to see that pivot then? early next year. How soon will that happen? Against the euro, pretty much flat at this stage, but there we are against the uh, sterling. Then 126.35 is currently where we're sitting when it comes to that handle. Over in Asia, then the market there, uh, while falling after the, uh, we saw Wall Street snap all well, a lot of that winning streak right across the day. Investors will still be monitoring some of the CPI action coming out of Hong Kong, particularly. Japan has also uh, slightly raised its economic projections then for the 2023-24 fiscal year. That's up to 1.6% versus the 1.3% they initially held. Only the Shanghai Composite managing to gain thus far around half a percent. So the sell-off still significantly uh, in play here with the Nikkei uh, dropping off more than 1% following suit then from what we saw out of Wall Street. On to the European futures. Yesterday then uh, we did see uh, the market out in Europe finish with what is perhaps a mixed bag for the most part. Uh, mild gains for the stock 600 overall. The FTSE 100 outperforming the rest of the market. In fact, gaining 1.1% to 7,724. That's its highest level since mid-September. For now though, we are called around half a percent weaker across Europe. Let's get to some of the Fed speakers then and just what the macro is looking like. Philadelphia Fed President Patrick Harker says he believes rates should be held where they are for some time and that the Fed does not need to hike rates anymore. Harker told a local radio station that it's important for the central bank to cut rates but not right away. U.S. consumer confidence hit a five-month high in December, posting its fastest rise since early 2021 as consumers raised their expectations for incomes and the health of the labour market. The 110.7 reading came in well ahead of economists' expectations, with forecasts pointing to a 104, according to a Reuters poll. Now, U.S. existing home sales unexpectedly increased 0.8% in the month of November, ending a run of five straight monthly falls, according to data from the National Association of Realtors. The rebound from October's 13-year low comes as data from mortgage agency Freddie Mac shows 30-year mortgage rates dipped below 7%. 
And there are two more key data points for the Fed due before Christmas. Today, we'll bring the final reading of U.S. GDP for the third quarter. That's after the second reading showed an upward revision to 5.2% growth. And then the all-important PCE inflation figures follow tomorrow, with economists expecting a slowdown to 2.8% on the headline figure and a core reading of 3.3%. And let's get out to Peter Tuko, Chief Investment Officer in Bank Group. Peter, great to see you. I hope you've been in studio this morning. morning. Let me ask you first, a very simple, are we now in descent? Is this a market sell-off we're watching? No, it's a correction after nine straight runs. Um, but... The Fed saw 5% or Powell, sorry, uh, Yellen saw 5% bond yields and took fright. The Fed flooded the system again in November, the repo game this time. Um, and you have a lovely, beautiful rally. Um, I think I was only on a few weeks ago, Karen, and I think I said to you, stay involved. And it is one of those moments you just have to sit there, hold your nose and, and participate. Um, individuals are buying the MAGA 7 in, in the highest proportion they ever have. Um, it's just a chase of momentum and liquidity, and uh, the Federal Reserve is accommodating uh, Yellen's wishes. I, I don't think it's that complicated. I don't agree the market decided this. The market was absolutely falling to bits at 5% yield, and then the Fed worried, got worried, got nervous. Something didn't quite break, but it got close, and um, they, they decided no. So they, they flag rate cuts next year. I don't believe it. I'm with the Philadelphia governor. I think it's nonsense. The US economy, if anything, is re-accelerating. Um, I, I, I just think it's um, la-la land to use, a, <laughs> use a, uh, perhaps an appropriate phrase. I don't think there's going to be rate cuts as early as people think. And I don't think there's actually a particularly meaningful slowdown in the US. Uh, I love the fact economists are apparently surprised by things. Well, get used to being surprised. I don't think it's a slowdown. I think Asia's also picked up. Europe and UK is slightly different. I think there is an element of that. But even in the UK, there seems to be signs that things are okay. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not convinced the world's falling apart and that the bond yield is telling you the right story about, you know, soft slash hard landing. Peter, if you hold that view and you have a, a view that the re-rating around monetary policy is incorrect at this stage, how aggressively would you sell this rally that we've had in recent weeks? It's, it, it's a momentum rally. And, and at some point, everyone's going to wake up and realise the economy is not falling apart. By the way, for earnings, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think the issue is that you're driving the same stocks continuously higher, Karen. And, you know, we've talked about this con constantly through time. I have stuck with the idea that you stay with value. I think I don't think that's going to change. I mean, in the US, you've got to balance that up with the fact that the Mega 7 keep driving the market higher. I think the S&P is only up 6% if you take out... Um, the Magnificent Seven this year. So that's interesting in its own right. Um, and and I, I, I'll go back to the old line. Most, you know, Japan, US, uh, sorry, Japan, UK, GEM, the emerging markets, they're not particularly expensive. Um, if we're going to have an inflationary-ish style boom next year, and I don't think that's probably out of order, then you need to think about what you're owning. And I don't think it's going to be particularly long duration assets you're going to want. I think it might still be more of those value, e economically sensitive stocks. Probably some of the small mid-caps, which have been absolutely crushed, are probably interesting for next year. Um, that's the style of in which I'd play it for next year. I think you have to stick with what I think continues to be the case, that you want to favour value over growth. It's been right in three quarters of the markets in the world this year, just not right in the US, um, where value has really, really struggled. Because once again, people are obsessed with AI and they're obsessed with it. You need a good story and lots of liquidity. And at the moment, the story is AI and the liquidity is being gratefully provided by the Federal Reserve. Yeah, Peter, good morning to you. Have we gone back to perhaps what is somewhat normal here, where, you know, for, for much of this year, good news was kind of bad news and, and, and vice versa? Are we, are we perhaps getting back to a level where 
good news will become good news again and bad news uh, pretty much the same, particularly when you look at that inflation number? Well, inflation is definitely, on a year-on-year basis, it is definitely, obviously, it was going to come down from where it was a year ago or even six months ago. But I'm still sticking to the story of the call rate is not doing what the Fed wants. Um, if you look at some of the numbers, you can even see that on the three-month view, the, uh, the call numbers actually up. And I think people aren't looking at the fact that we haven't broken the back of it. The break-evens at 2%, which is what they're saying on a 10-year, is nonsense. I just think we're going to have to stick inflation. It's not the end of the world, by the way. I don't think it matters that inflation is going to be perhaps higher than 2. I don't think they're going to get back to 2. And we've got no slack in the labour force. I mean, it's just amazing how many people are expecting a huge pivot. As though we've got huge pools of labour everywhere that can just be soaked up in the in, in the inevitable continuous recovery. I just think it's nonsense. I, I don't believe it's correct. I think we have a problem in terms of a longer-term inflation trend, transition, energy transition in particular, equality, where people are fed up with not being paid properly. Um, and I think that is true, that the people are homeless in America because they don't get paid enough. Um, ditto probably here in some respects. You're going to have a re-pointing re of labour uh, against profitability. And all those trends are going to play for this decade. And I think for the moment, people are hoping for a slowdown, rates back to two, possibly even QE, which is broadly what you've had from the Fed in terms of their latest antics in the repo market. And so um, you've got a liquidity flush because I think they're all scared of, uh, of, of things going wrong. And they think they've cracked the back of inflation. I think the story for next year is they probably haven't. So be more cautious than you have been this year. This year was relatively easy after a grotty 22. I think next year is going to be lots, lots more lumpy. And for me, I'd still stick with the value side of the equation, not the growth side. Shorter duration assets, not longer ones. So, so, I mean, what does that mean for the rate then uh, of those uh, or the speed of the rate cuts themselves? And I mean, that surely is unlikely to match what you've seen when the rates were going up then as well. Right. So when once they do begin cutting, that's bound to be slow and steady is the course you're, you're hoping for. Yeah, you've already priced in, well, I would have said three, but at some point you're getting to all six rate cuts already in next year. And I just don't think it's real. I think the Philadelphia governor's correct. It's not going to happen. And at some point there's going to be a recognition of that. And that will be the moment the sell-off comes. I mean, last night was an element of that. People were dawning on them that the rate cuts aren't coming as quickly as they imagined. So, again, as I've said, next year, more caution. You've priced a lot into the bond market already in terms of rate cuts. So, you know, that's less interesting than it was. Perhaps the difference there is US and UK and Europe. I think UK and Europe... Europe is probably got more scope for, uh, you know, a slowdown, relatively speaking, perhaps more to go for on the bonds, particularly in the UK. Um, and there's that going to be that bifurcation. But meanwhile, as I said, Asia's picking up. Last six to eight weeks, Asia's, Asia's really been roaring again. Exports picked up, export pricing's picked up. So again, people are anticipating this massive slowdown, which at the moment, I don't think is happening. Peter, what about the geopolitics? This is uh, really a dominant theme that seems to be coming up in all of the global outlook uh, forecasts for next year. Is that on your radar too? Do you think it could hold back the equities trade? I think, that, I mean, the US election is going to be, let's be honest, messy. I mean, whichever way you describe it, it's going to be vitriolic. It's not going to be very pleasant. It's not going to be fun to watch. Um, people tearing chunks out of each other in between parties and against each other. And I think that's going to be very difficult for the world to absorb. And, and there's no question that a, a Trump presidency round two will be a, a different affair from round one. He'll have an agenda. He'll try and apply it. Um, and I think that will that will be problematic for, for the geopolitical environment should that happen. Um, so markets are going to start worrying about it 
um, uh, certainly as we get towards the second half of the year. Um, so yes, count. it's going to be, I know the presidential year is normally supposed to be a great year, but this is a very unusual presidential <laughs> election, I suspect. I mean, they're all unique, but this one could be particularly unique. So yes, that's something to start worrying about next year. But that goes back to the play of if the what, what does the Biden administration want? What does Yellen want? Yellen wants a boom, ideally. Um, and I think that's what they're trying to generate. But I still think they haven't broken the back of inflation. The surprise for next year is that the inflation has not been tamed and that you're going to have a more troubled and more volatile year next year. Yeah, certainly something we're also going to be discussing later on in the show, just a little bit more particular on the U.S. politics front. Peter, thank you so much for the time this morning. Uh, appreciate it. Peter Tugut is the chief investment officer then at Embark Group. Now, we will be hearing from outgoing Morgan Stanley CEO James Gorman later today. Don't miss that exclusive conversation at 4.30 p.m. Central European time. Coming up on the show, though, CNBC learns that Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount have entered merger talks. We'll break down what it means for the media landscape. Plus, we'll look ahead to next year's U.S. presidential election as legal battles mount for former President Trump. And we will bring you Charlotte's interview with France's sports minister as the country prepares for next year's Olympics. Don't miss that conversation at 8.45 CET. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back. Now, City has decided to close its distressed debt trading business, CNBC has learned. The move is the latest in CEO Jane Fraser's overhaul of the Wall Street lender as it looks to exit businesses with poor returns and hit performance targets. Now, Micron shares jumped after the bell on the back of a bullish revenue forecast above analyst expectations with $5.5 billion penciled in for the second quarter. Micron says it expects earnings per share to come in between minus 21 and minus 35 cents, excluding certain items. Warner Brothers Discovery has entered preliminary merger talks with Paramount, according to CNBC sources, who say the CEOs of the two companies met Tuesday to hash out the broad strokes of a possible deal. Both firms finished Wednesday trade in the red after the story was originally reported by Axios. But Paramount is set to end the year in the green after reports it could be a potential takeover target, sending its stock more than 10% higher in a single day this month. A tie-up between the firms could allow them to merge their streaming services, Paramount Plus and Max, in a move which would enable the sites to better rival sector giants like Netflix and Disney Plus. The logic also goes for a hypothetical tie-up of the two firms' news and sports divisions. But a size difference could pose problems for any merger. Warner Brothers Discovery is worth almost $13 billion compared to Paramount's 10. And any acquisition would create a company with a huge amount of debt, around $60 billion going forward. Well, tax law. Let's get into that too. That could be another obstacle for a potential deal. Warner Brothers merged with Discovery in April 2022. And tax benefits from that deal block it from making any further acquisitions until April. A lot of different pieces to pick up on here. Barbie. 
Warner Brothers was the company that yeah. uh, brought us Barbie. So <laughs> theoretically, it should be well placed. This is one of the biggest grossing movies uh, for the company and uh, should have set it up very nicely going into the next couple of quarters. But streaming and the legacy television business also are the components here and the TV networks actually larger than the studio's business. So still issues in terms of the makeup of the organization. The subscribers, we knew that that was not going so well for the business when they reported back in November. They uh, launched Max back in May. So that's been a big drain on the income for the business. And uh, there's also been what uh, Zaslav has called this generational disruption, which we're seeing with the streaming business. So I think lots of issues here in terms of pivoting and making the business fit for the future. Struggling to kind of keep up with the streaming giants, right? And it's kind of difficult to do so. I mean, if you look at this, you're saying that two companies that are in the legacy media business are trying to tie up, or three businesses here that are looking at this one purchase here ultimately. But you're still talking about the same legacy business. It's not as if they're actually linking up with some of the other major streaming players. So does this actually help these businesses in this time when you're seeing the shift, the pivot to streaming giants? So does it help that the same business is coming together? You know, that's, I think that's one element. The uh, other just, thing just is... Just to that point, though, Z- uh, Zaslav was saying it's very hard at this point to go on the offensive. Yeah. So to your point... It, it is, but this then it's might a declining be, story. Well, this might be more of a defensive move rather than being on the offensive, going after a new part of the streaming empire, which maybe they just can't afford to do at this is that So does that mean it's a case perhaps then of delaying the inevitable, which means because revenues are bound to continue declining, ad revenues aren't getting any better, uh, particularly in this space. So the other question is how bad are numbers for Q4 and moving into 2024? Does that mean that you're going to see a continued drop-off in, in how much uh, you could get out of these companies? Uh, and also like we said, doesn't necessarily fix the problem. So how do you fix a problem in this, uh, in, this, in this space and in this sector if you're not going to have blockbuster movies like Barbie the entire time, which is obviously difficult to consistently do now, how else do you get to the forefront? So the company in the third quarter lost per share 17 cents versus a 6 cents expected, so it was a bigger than expected loss. Yeah. There's another feature here, and that is the ad cycle. These are industry trends that come and go, and over the decades, mm. uh, places like uh, Warner Brothers uh, Discovery are well-versed in terms of reading the ad cycle. I think we're going to a much more challenging ad environment now than the one that we've just been through. So the post-COVID trends and big spending patterns by consumers means marketers are willing to spend up for customer acquisition costs. Mm. That's changing now as we see tighter spending habits and we talk about an environment that's getting more challenging for the consumer. The question is whether interest rate cuts that are now slated for the market make any difference next year versus some of the the challenges and hurdles that now present themselves for the industry. But I think it's fascinating uh, to your point around putting legacy businesses together. And one of the ideas put forward by some of the market commentators was was it's just a way to flush out other conversations. Was it a way to get the parent company of this network involved, Comcast? And Comcast is the biggest media company on the planet. And is it a ready buyer? And I think that's what Warner Brothers is trying to do here. Just put up the flag and say, look, we're for sale. Is anybody else interested? Is anyone else willing to engage at this point? Mm. But it does beg the question, is anyone else actually interested? Do they have the firepower at this point? Are they also concerned about the legacy businesses? Or if you're in the other side of the universe, in the the streaming and uh, the disruptive tech business, do you want to buy legacy at this stage? Do you want to make the outlay for the content that comes with some of these businesses? Yeah, I mean, would would a... I mean, would a Google 
right? Would an alphabet be interested in getting into a legacy media space like this when you have YouTube aggregating some of already what is out there in this space? So rewind 12 months ago, maybe the answer would have been yes. What's happened in 2023? AI. Yeah. These companies got bigger fish to fry 100%. now than to go after content. I would be surprised if they decided that now was the right time when they've got huge endeavors now in their own um, bread and butter environment yeah. to go after AI dominance. Yeah, looks like they've lost a lot of firepower and a lot of ability to gain any access to potential buyers, as we have noted it, right? And, and where exactly you find those buyers in, the, in a time like this. Now, Warner Brothers does, uh, well, if you actually look at the likes of Disney, for example, on the other end of this, you, you see that even when it comes to their theme parks, revenues have actually been declining. So the one part of their business that you thought would be really helpful to them. So now it's a whole range of features across the spectrum yeah. where you're not finding uh, a clear sense of better valuations and who else do you go for. So combining these businesses doesn't fix the problem, but maybe it's, it's, it's trying to find, as you said, less noise. Big transaction, no matter how you cut it. Yeah, so it's someone to watch, I think, after what's been a slow year on the M&A front. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.